Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. And I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Now, Radio Islam family, you know that you can also log on to RadioIslam.com to look at guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and more, even as we continue to update our site. Now, if you haven't already done so, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, follow us on social media. So on Twitter and Instagram, we've got the same handle, and that's at Radio Islam USA. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you like our page. Uh, it is simply Radio Islam. Now, if you'd like to chime in to tonight's discussion, make a point or ask a question, feel free to give us a call. The phones are within arm's reach, and that is 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. Now, for our Facebook listeners, you can post directly to our timeline or direct message us, whichever you feel uh, you would rather do. So, alhamdulillah, all praise be to God. We are thankful for another day to be able to join you. Thank you for taking this time, this premium, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. time to, to be with us, to have the conversations that we have. Um, we often mention that this is drive time for, for many of you. So those of you who are driving, we hope that the traffic isn't too bad, that the weather isn't too bad, and that you make it to your destination safely. Before we get into our conversation tonight, we like to share a short hadith, a narration of the Prophet, peace and prayers be upon him. And it goes as follows. Abu Dar reported, the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, relates from his Lord that Allah said, O my servants, I have forbidden oppression for myself and have made it forbidden among you. So do not oppress one another. Very simple and straight to the point. So something for us to keep in mind that Allah has forbidden oppression uh, in all of its forms. So tonight um, we want to first bring to mind, because we know how our news cycles are. Uh, We're constantly from one major topic and then we're on to the next. Uh, But we do realize that there are folks right now who are in Puerto Rico, and they are dealing with the after effects of Hurricane Maria. Uh, We know that it was reported that the president and members of his uh, administration, at least the the first lady, uh, arrived in Puerto Rico, I believe, earlier this morning, and they're having some some definite challenges in meeting the needs of the people, getting the uh, needed supplies to the people who are in need. So... We pray for a quick resolution to that and that those people, that they get what they need and that their distress is alleviated, inshallah, uh, if it be God's will. So we're going to have a, we have to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to open up with this. As many, I think everybody knows because it's been in the news, 
Um, it has affected so many people. The mass shooting, an act that I will simply call an act of terrorism, if you were listening to the news brief at the beginning, uh, it was pointed out that there is a question as to why is this not being called terrorism? Why is it just being labeled as a mass shooting? So for many people in America, we're having, there are two different conversations, and one of the conversations is, is that there is a double standard. And that standard being that if this gentleman's name, uh, and we won't even use uh, the term gentleman, if his name was not Stephen and it was Suleiman, right, or Suhail or Sufyan, if it was anything that sounded Arabic or sounded Muslim, then this would not be simply a mass shooting. But I'm going to share uh, just an opening paragraph of something. This was in the New York Times, uh, and it goes as follows. It says, when they woke up and glanced at their phones on Monday morning, Americans may have been shocked to learn that the man behind the mass shooting in Las Vegas late on Sunday was an anti-Trump liberal who liked Rachel Maddow and MoveOn.org, that the FBI had already linked him to the Islamic State, and that mainstream news organizations were suppressing that he had recently converted to Islam. They were shocking, gruesome revelations. They were also entirely false and widely spread by Google and Facebooks and Facebook. So, uh, well, first, before I go any further, uh, let me introduce the... Uh, he normally gets a shout-out at the end, but he gets a, a shout-out earlier on because uh, he's going to be joining me in this conversation. Our uh, engineer slash producer slash co-host uh, for the day, Ibrahim Beg. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Wa rahmatullah. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, uh, as, as I mentioned, just, just in reading this uh, piece from the New York Times, uh, the effect of the... The, 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 this, this fake news, this fabricated news. And there seems to be, you know, and I think people were probably happy, those people who did read this and, uh, and took this on, they were probably, they felt some comfort um, in, in, in that being the narrative that was, that was being shared, that this was a, a Muslim. Right, because um, I think it brings up the deeper issue of why people are spreading fake news and kind of, like you said, rejoicing in news which they may or may not know is false. Um, I think it really reinforces people's worldview and it makes them feel better about their own worldview and their own uh, narrative that they've constructed for themselves. And anything that goes against that narrative, even if it be real, genuine news, they have the tendency to reject that because it kind of shatters their... Uh, the reality that they desire. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's also, you know, people have looked at the the way that this is being covered right now, the language that is used. Um, do we have, we, we've got a clip. Okay, so, uh, family, I want you all to listen to this clip and just, just play, pay close attention to the descriptors that are used, you know, to paint a picture of who, of who the the shooter is, right? And then we're gonna we're gonna talk about that afterwards. I'm gonna give you the number again, if you'd like to call in or 
give us a message on our Facebook page. That's 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. Okay, so let's, let's take a listen. Yeah, the clip is from ABC News. Paddock is solely responsible for this heinous act. Stephen Paddock, an unassuming 64-year-old with no criminal record, is now allegedly the man behind the deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. From the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay, he unleashed a torrent of bullets into the crowd of a country music festival 1,100 feet away. Listen. The sound different from any we've heard from all other recent mass shootings because this time a rifle functioning like a machine gun was used. An individual was described as a lone wolf. I don't know how it could have been prevented. As the death toll has continued to rise, investigators rushed to track down everything, anything about the shooter. We're trying to understand what's wrong, what happened. We're still just completely befuddled. Eric Paddock, the shooter's brother, says he has no clue as to what led his brother on this murderous rampage. So, as you hear, descriptions like lone wolf, right? Um, and and what, was, what, what was one of the other terms in there? Uh, <laughs> well, so, there's been a lot of them, not just here, but in, throughout the media is kind of a, calling him like a professional gambler and a retired accountant, I think, and a lot of other terms. The term lone wolf itself seems to be using... He's being used here as a way to um, minimize the the audacity and the the horror of the crime. Right. Um, you could. I mean, it's debatable, but it's certainly the the question is there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what is what is really interesting is that this is not this is not uh, an isolated you know incident uh, in terms of how of how perpetrators of violence that happen to be. Uh, that happen to be white, you know, are covered. Um, there's often the the connection to, or you know, they bring up the idea of of mental illness, you know. But the fact is, well, I shouldn't say the fact is, but I would think it'd be a, a reasonable a reasonable assumption that if somebody's willing to kill, you know, dozens of people, whether they whether they say you know that they're with a particular uh, a group or not, that's that's mental illness. Yeah, personally, as a student of political science, I notice I have to know, and as a Muslim as well, I have to notice that there is kind of a dogma in uh, the media, the way the media reports acts of terror, and the way people analyze acts of terror. The dogma is that someone either. Uh, pledges allegiance to some type of a terrorist group or they are uh, mentally unstable or they have mental illness. Um, there is a dogma that these two things are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. And right. the reality is that someone could pledge allegiance to whatever terrorist group and at the same time be suffering from mental illness. There's no reason to believe that these are two mutually exclusive things. Um, as like I said, a student of political science, I felt this was kind of lacking from even the scholarly literature, mm-hmm. um, not to mention the media. Right. Yeah, and I think that this is also this is also with the intention of giving a false sense of uh, security. And and unfortunately, you know, when we we use terms like I shouldn't say we, but when reporting agencies use terms like lone wolf, it is to give the public 
a sense of, well, we got this guy. So, you know, let's get back to business. Everything, you know, will be okay. It's a one-time event. That's It's just an anomaly, right? It won't happen again. Right. But the fact is, I was doing some looking, and and the data has actually expanded since. But just looking from September 12, 2001, through December 31, 2016, says that there were 85 deadly attacks in the United States by violent extremists. Now, how those, how those acts were covered is, I think that, that is what, is brought, what should be brought into question, especially from those people who study, uh, who cover these acts from an, from an academic sense, uh, to you know, um, to bring some type of a um, to bring a, a better understanding as to how these events are being uh, relayed to the to the people and how they are how they are affecting or if they have an effect on policy with in with with regard to whatever particular industry or or field or environment it may have happened in. Mm-hmm. So let me see here. So they define it generally as supporting or committing violent acts to achieve political, ideological, religious, or social goals, said, uh, and this is from the April 2017 report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Now, the problem with when we have these type of acts that take place and the shooter, the perpetrator of the violence, is unavailable for question, you know, and and, and it's said that he died from a self-inflicted wound, there is no finding out as to what his aim was in in committing the acts that he did. So, if he's not a Muslim, <laughs> right? If he's not a Muslim, and and and, and that's what we let off with uh, in the very beginning, is that if this, and I, and, and and listen, to this Radio Islam family, and especially for those, and I'm hoping that we have some folks who are. I hope that we have some non-Muslims that are listening. I hope that we have. Um, I hope that we have some self-identified, I shouldn't say self-identified, but we have some white um, uh, uh, brothers and sisters that are listening to us. Because, and I say that for this reason, if this had been a, a, a black shooter or a Muslim shooter, would we be looking at the very same set of descriptors would we have, I mean, because they, they went so quickly, they discounted any terrorist um, leanings and motivations mm-hmm. almost immediately, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how they, how they came up with that. Right, and there's right. something else related to that, which is even more strange. We mentioned in the news report yesterday. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later. Okay, yeah, yeah, we definitely got to get that in there. But would we be having the very same conversation? Would there be this painting of this individual would we would we really care that he was a country music aficionado, right? That has very little to do with the fact that uh, I believe at last fifty nine people have been killed, fifty nine people, um, and we're also looking at I think the numbers are now up to five hundred. Is it five hundred people or four hundred people? No, it's over five hundred. Over five hundred people that that are dealing with the after effects. You know of of the violence that he, you know that 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 he thrust upon, you know just some some concert goers, you know people that were just sitting up, 
watching, you know, watching a uh, uh, watching a concert. So, would we be having the same conversation? And the answer is absolutely not. Now, every person, every person of color, every Muslim, right? Every every immigrant had it been had it been a Mexican uh, a Mexican immigrant that committed that committed this this violence we would be having a different conversation and that's why i say the idea of scholars or the idea of you know academicians or policy analysts or policy makers looking at the 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 thread of domestic terrorism and how uh, depending on who the actors are how they impact how policy is shaped because there's not in my estimation there's not going to be really any big nothing that's really going to come out of this but had it been an immigrant had it been a Muslim had it been uh, uh, an African American you, you better believe that uh, you know there would be some policy uh, mm-hmm. that, that that's coming down the pike right so what was the other thing that you wanted to mention the other thing uh, went that I just that we mentioned yesterday yeah 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 oh well uh, maybe we'll talk about that after we, we'll the get break, into that actually. Okay, so look, Radio Salam family, uh, you can give us a call. Let us know what you think. And one of the th- one of the things that we did not mention, and the reason I say that I'm hoping that we've got a diverse audience that is listening tonight, it is because often we are talking in silos, right? We're talking within the echo chamber, and that means that we're having conversations that reinforce our own worldview. And I believe, uh, as Ibrahim, uh, you know, as he mentioned earlier on, you know, the idea of, you know, that I, that worldview being reinforced. So you don't really have productive dialogue when you are constantly talking to a mirror. You're constantly talking to people who think just like you. So if you have an opposing view, if you see this thing differently, we really want to hear from you. Post on our wall. Give us a call, 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. We'll see you in just a minute. We're going to go ahead and take a short break. This is Radio Islam. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Nasa 
الملك القدوس سلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار. Happy Ramadan and Ramadan Mubarak. Radio Islam is pleased to bring you Blessed Days, Blessed Names with the late Amina Asilmi, Allah Yerhamha. Al-Baqi The Everlasting. Everlasting means it never, ever, ever comes to an end. It's eternal. It's without beginning or end. Existing through all times. Always true. Always valid. Allah is the only with no beginning and no end. This life and everything in it is temporal. It's temporary. All of creation will end. All of creation had a beginning. Only Allah is everlasting before and after all. We must keep this in our mind because our life here is short. However, the hereafter is not. We should leave something behind here that will benefit those who come after us because those things that we leave behind which are of benefit to man will also bring benefit to us in the grave. Allah is everlasting. We are not. That's why we are not just to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. What Allah gives us in His bounties we are to use to do good work, to do His work. Allah is everlasting. He will always know what is needed and He will always provide the means to solve every issue and every problem. And it may be that you are that means. So always look for a way that you can do something that is of benefit. Share your knowledge, share your experience, share your expertise, share your labor, share your love. It's only those things that we give that will benefit us beyond the grave. Our life is short on this plane. It's very short. And all that we have will be returned to the one who originated. It will be returned to the one who is everlasting, will be returned to the one who is the accounter, fortunately to the one who is also the forgiving. That was the late Amina Asilmi, with her reflections on Allah's 99 names, may God have mercy on her soul. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show, produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You are in the best place you can be from 6 to 7 p.m., seven days a week. Radio Islam, 1450 AM, WCEV. We are streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. 
And remember, you can always log on to RadioIslam.com to look at former shows, articles, guest bios, and a lot more. So we're talking about uh, the, well, the misrepresentation, the control narrative on domestic terrorism um, under the name or the guise of uh, these being isolated incidents. So uh, with our latest our latest um, offense that our country is being, you know, is, is being forced to deal with. And of course this uh, with Las Vegas, you know, that we've got, you know, 59 people who've lost their lives and over 500 people who are now, who are dealing with the after effects, you know, trying to heal in a community itself that is dealing with violence that has not, you know, this is the largest act of uh, the largest mass shooting in the history of our United States of America. So this lends itself to quite a few other conversations. Um, one of those being, you know, gun gun control, which is a huge debate. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on a statement on on that issue. I'm actually gonna let um, my brother Ibrahim uh, lead us into that. But. There have been 85, I mentioned earlier, there have been 85 acts of domestic terrorism. And um, actually, you know what, let, let me share this with you. There was an article um, on Vox.com. And one of the things that it stated. Not Fox. Vox. Hmm? No, not Fox, Vox. Yeah. Yeah, V-O-X. Yeah, in, in case that, that didn't come out uh, clearly. Vox, V-O-X.com. And... What it what it asserts is that, matter of fact, the title of the article was "White American Men Are a Bigger Domestic Terrorist Threat Than Muslim Foreigners." Now, if you are a white American, a white American male, that probably would resonate with you in a way. Well, it probably doesn't, to be quite honest, because uh, there is a uh, there is a, a privilege, right? Or there is a, a normalcy. Um, I shouldn't even say a normalcy. These incidents, when they take place, they are looked at as isolated incidents. They're abnormalities. They are not a part of the, the common narrative, right? They're not a part of the, the regular structure, you know, of what it means to be a white male in America. But it says that since Trump took office, more Americans have been killed by white American men with no connection to Islam than by Muslim terrorists or foreigners. Now, this is in terms of, of, of policy, right? What, what its effect on policy, like it should have some effect on policy. If, if we're going to use gender and we're going to use race, ethnicity, we're going to use religion as markers for determining how we going how we're going to keep Americans safe then that type of information should have some bearing on the policies that are created but it does not it does not so says when president trump when he signed um his since revised executive order banning people from seven muslim majority countries from entering the united states he claimed it was to protect americans from radical islamic terrorists but the truth is, is that more people, more Americans have died 
at the hands of white American men who are not Muslim, who have no connection to Islam, than by any Muslim or immigrant. But that has no, it has not been a part of our narrative about keeping Americans safe. Just throwing it out there. So with regard to the gun control um, aspect of this conversation, you want to lead us into that? Sure. Um, there's a very kind of bizarre statement put out there by uh, none other than Mr. Bill O'Reilly. Um, I'm going to read part of this. Um, like I said, it's very... Uh, well, we'll discuss it a little bit after I read it. Okay. So I won't read it in its entirety, although it's not that long. Uh, the title is from BillOReilly.com, and it's his message of the day from October seventh, two thousand, October second, two thousand seventeen. Um, he says about this tragedy from Las Vegas: the murderer had a number of deadly weapons in his room, and you can count on the gun control debate to ramp up. But having covered scores of gun-related crimes over the years, I can tell you that government restrictions will not stop psychopaths from harming people. They will find a way. Public safety demands logical gun laws, but the issue is so polarizing and emotional that little will be accomplished as there is no common ground. The NRA and its supporters want easy access to weapons while the left wants them banned. This is the price of freedom. Violent nuts are allowed to roam free until they do damage, no matter how threatening they are. The Second Amendment is clear that Americans have a right to arm themselves for protection, even the loons. Um, mm. I'll stop there. So what I what struck me was just kind of the uh, almost like the complacency, uh, lack of any real sympathy. The I mean, it's just I was very confused by this very uh, amazed by this just the bluntness and he, where he says this is the price of freedom and he basically it sounds like he's saying it's inevitable like either you forfeit the second amendment um, or you have to kind of like live with this possibility of people going out and doing this and it's just I felt it was a very bizarre kind of uh, dichotomy that he's trying to talk about here what, what do you think yeah, I think it's it's ridiculous because it leaves no no room for a middle ground, you know, to say that everybody has to has have access to assault automatic assault rifles, or it infringes upon the constitutional right to bear arms, you know, and that and that just doesn't make any sense. I think what this shows is that. We actually, we actually need more, uh, not just controls, but we need, we need a change as far as the, the, the culture uh, that we have uh, with regard to violence. Violence is, is celebrated uh, in so many forms. And I think Bill O'Reilly is simply just, I think what he's doing, really he's just talking to that base that is, you know, that's ride or die. That's, you know, uh, you know, you don't get my gun, you'll get it out of my cold, dead hands. You know, right. I think that's who he's talking to. I, I don't think that's an intelligent argument um, that he's making at all. 
you know. It was just so bizarre to me that he's basically saying, well, we have to live with this. You know, we have to live with this possibility or either that or just throw out the whole Second Amendment altogether. It's just, it doesn't make sense. And it's just such a strange and insensitive and uh, weird thing to say at this time, at any time, really. Well, I don't think Bill has ever been known for his tact, you know, or his compassion for that matter. And I think that his statement now is probably as much just to just to have him have his statement talked about, you know, as it is an, an actual commentary on the event. Because, and I, I agree with you, you're absolutely right that there is no you know, there is no compassion uh, in the statement. Uh, it's blunt without real purpose. And maybe, and maybe there's a other, a, another side to this, which is that there's some truth in there. That as long as our gun laws are, are the way they are, where there is not... I, I mean, really think about this. Aside from, you know, doing a background check on somebody, I mean, there's no, there's no, no check for <laughs> mental illness when you give somebody, you allow somebody to buy a weapon that can, that can fire off 100 rounds, you know, in a minute. Uh, mental illness or mental health is not brought into being. Uh, I mean, I think it is in certain cases, but in certain ca- in some cases it's not. It depends whether you've been institutionalized by the state that you're buying a gun in or something, something right. like that. Right. Um, I also don't know what are the laws surrounding um, the guns in Nevada, which this man possessed. I'm not sure if he mod if he actually modified. He did. He modified the guns to become automatic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is that so? Technically, the modification itself is legal, or it's illegal. I'm not sure. Now that I'm I'm not certain. Uh, I believe I heard something saying that that was illegal to do, but they, but I've heard that it's a simple modification. It doesn't take a whole lot uh, to modify. There's something in there. There's some loophole in there that's not that the. It's it's legal to sell the parts that are used in the modification or something like that, but it may not right. be legal to actually do it. Um, there's, I think, there's some loophole in here. We'll, we'll research that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, I think that this this speaks to a, a larger a larger problem. Uh, one, the availability of uh, if we look at the Second Amendment. And what and and then what's attached to that is that we have the right to form militias, right? And this is supposed to be with the idea of protecting the people against an oppressive government. But the the facts are, with the advancement, the technological advancements, the advancements in 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 uh, uh, in weaponry, I don't see a militia being more well-armed than the military right now. I don't see... So, I mean, this idea, if we're going to take this back to a, a military a military fight as a way to protect our citizenship, that in itself, I, I don't see how that really serves the, the purposes of, of protecting, protecting us. It just leads to, you know, I think it, I think it takes us off track. Yeah, it's a big debate among the Supreme Court um, and other people that what's the actual purpose of the Second Amendment and whether or not the language of the Second Amendment 
should be interpreted to uh, include other things. Hmm. Like if we look at history, then obviously, yes, it's talking about each state being able to form its own militia right. to protect against foreign invaders, basically, right? right? Now that concept is kind of obsolete. You're not going to go to your local grocery store man and sky and come together and let's you know get together and defend against this foreign country that's not going to happen at all we have a military um but the debate is over whether the language can actually uh include personal gun ownership or not and to what extent i think everyone pretty much agrees that it can include personal gun ownership but now the debate is like to what extent you know to to this bizarre extent where you're amassing hu- huge amount of military style weapons and stuff, or mm-hmm. you know just something for self defense. Well, and I find it interesting. This once again, this is also depending on who the actors are, how policy either maintains or how it's changed. Because if there are a group of Muslim Americans, a group of Black Americans, a group of uh, of Mexican Americans who decide they want to form a militia, and they start stockpiling weapons. You can just imagine how fast there would be some type of a, there would be some legislative action uh, that takes place. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you see that because we do know of uh, white supremacist and kind of anti-government militias in various states and rural parts of the country. Absolutely, um, some of them have been prosecuted and some of them have not really been seriously uh, taken down by the government. Yeah, and that's the thing. Those that have been prosecuted, they are more visible. Generally, mm-hmm. they have, you know, they have made themselves uh, a lot more. They put themselves on the radar, you know. Right. Um, I think just looking at the at the history as to how they have been treated. Um, if you even go back to, if you're talking about gun ownership, look, go back to the Black Panthers mm-hmm. and how legislation changed when they began exercising their right to bear arms. Uh, there was a legislative response. Right. So, um, and, you know, and I think it, it, bears, it bears our consideration uh, that there is an unfair response. And there's an unfair acceptance of, of white militias or, or, or white men with arms and even and explaining away of the violence that they, you know, enact upon uh, upon other people. You know, so like I said, we we take out Stephen and put in Suleiman, and we have a completely different conversation. Yeah. So, um, I know we didn't get we didn't get any phone calls right now. So, uh, we are, you know, just giving our we are giving our stance, our side on this, how we see it. Right, but we recognize that how we see things is not how everybody sees them. But it is important. It's extremely important if we're going to have dialogue. If we're going to have a response to this, that's not simply, as Bill O'Reilly stated, that this is just the the price of freedom. Then that's the case. Like, how would it have looked if he would have made that statement after Sandy Hook? Yeah. You know, I mean, how or, would or San Bernardino? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How how would it have or looked Orlando. if he if he came out and said, "This is just this is the price of price of freedom." Mm-hmm. No, I think this is the price. This is the price of leaving a problem. Leave there's a hole that exists, you know, in the in the way that we the way we have 
handled our Second Amendment rights. You know, we're still stuck in, you know, we're still stuck at the beginning, uh, the beginnings of our country as opposed to allowing our our politics and our policies to change. So, all right, folks, look, if you want to give us a call, 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. This is Radio Islam. Remember, we're streaming live at www.wcev1450.com, and we will be right back after these messages. I shoved the envelope under my sweater and sneaked through the kitchen. Mom was on the phone in the front room. I didn't want to have to explain anything. I just wanted to be by myself. Clutching the envelope tightly, I stepped onto the ladder at the bottom of the treehouse. Something caught my eye above me, and I looked up. <gasps> Light! It looked as if there were a firework display going on inside the treehouse. Crackling and snapping and whizzing sounds spun around above my head. Light shot out and sparks dancing to the popping of noise. My first thought was to scream fire and run to the house to get mom. My legs trembled as I inched upward, creeping up the rungs as quietly as I could. My heart banged so hard that it felt as if someone were hitting my chest. A couple more steps, and then I leaned forward, craning my neck to look inside. And then I looked up and saw... To find out what happens next, read Philippa Fisher's Fairy Godsister by Liz Kessler. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent. Brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Adopt Us Kids in the Ad Council. And now we have an eight-year-old on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to MyPyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq El Amin, joined in studio by engineer extraordinaire and co-host for the evening, Ibrahim Baig. We are streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And those of you who are tuned in, the dial is still the same, 1450 a.m. So when we left right before the break, we we're just talking about, you know, how our policy, our gun policy, it has remained the same. You know, we go back to the Second Amendment, but the loss of life that is, you know, that is incurred through our upholding of this of the Second Amendment, which I am in favor of. You know, I, I want to put that out there. 
I am in favor of the Second Amendment. But I'm also in favor of responsible gun ownership. I'm in favor of a responsible policy that takes into account different variables and the difference between the 18th century and the 21st. So we're going to slide on into a, uh, Ibrahim has a has an article you're going to share with us? Right, a little bit of an article from the New York Times. Okay. Um, to segue into an issue that came up yesterday, there was a kind of a bizarre twist um, in the information that was coming out, which is that the uh, Islamic State group, ISIS, they suddenly claimed responsibility for the attack in Las Vegas. <laughs> this is just a very... Yeah, Mount okay. Gap is laughing because it's just like kind of an insanely bizarre thing. Right. Local authorities and uh, the FBI, I believe, just the government, the federal authorities, both said like, no, this is not the case, you know? Right. Um, so this brings up an issue. Uh, I want to go back to June of this summer. Mm-hmm. I believe on June 3rd, early June of this summer. Uh, I'll read to you from an article from the New York Times titled Video of Manila Casino Attack Shows Robbery Was Goal, Police Say. It is by Richard C. Paddock, June 3rd, 2017. Um, basically, there was a man who was heavily armed. He came into a casino in uh, Manila, the Philippines, and he killed a lot of people, um, setting fire in several rooms and so on. ISIS also came out in the middle of this and said that they were responsible for this, even though the police and the Filipino authorities were said, no, that's not the case at all. Um, so I'll read part of that. A Philippine spokesman, Oscar Albayalde, said the authorities released the footage to show the public that the still unidentified man acted alone and that his motive was robbery, not terrorism, in the, early, in the attack early Friday morning at the resort's World Manila. Um, it goes on to say, The Islamic State has claimed responsibility for the Manila attack, but the police investigation has found no evidence to support this claim. Uh, Mr. Albayalde said, President Rodrigo Duterte, after visiting wounded soldiers in uh, Cagayan de Oro on the island of Mindanao joined in dismissing the claim by the Islamic State, also known as ISIS. It is not ISIS, the president said in his first public comment on the attack. Um, now, when we see this, this is also this is a bizarre thing. Like, why are they? Uh, we don't. We can only speculate as to why they tried to claim the uh, responsibility for this attack. Um, all we know is that clearly it wasn't one of their people, and it was an. So we see kind of a pattern developing already. Anytime there's this incredibly violent thing happens, ISIS comes out and tries to make themselves look tough or whatever. We don't know what their motivation are and say, you know, that they did this. This is exactly what happened again uh, a couple of days ago after this horrific tragedy in Las Vegas. Now, my question is, once again, as a student of political science, someone who really uh, enjoys asking these questions, does this cast doubt over um, other attacks that were blamed on ISIS, which may not actually have been the case? I think that's a, a great question. 
And I think it's a twofold answer. And I'm, I'm going to refer back to what you opened up with at the earlier part of, at the top of the program. And that being the idea of preserving the worldview. So we have a worldview. Many Americans have a worldview that Muslims and Islam is, you know, it is the other, it is the enemy of freedom, that Muslims hate Americans. So there's a natural suspicion and there's a natural or a, a manufactured tendency to want to believe when they're told that it's ISIS, they're Muslims that are behind the violence. And the other part of it is ISIS, anybody who actually knows anything about Islam understands that ISIS is not working on behalf of Islam. They are working, it is, it is quite the opposite. So anytime they, you know, it makes perfect sense for them to go ahead and claim whatever they can because what that does is it fosters suspicion of the Muslims that are here or, or wherever the attack happens to, uh, happens to be. So I think that, you know, just kind of in summation, I think that people will believe what preserves their reality. And, that, and it's kind of sad, you know, and that's why we can't really get out of these echo chambers because we're not willing to look at anything else. We're not, look at, we're not willing to look at alternatives. So, yeah, I think it does put it should put all these other claims into question. There's another uh, incident that comes to mind. I believe it was in 2015. Um, there was a, I'm sure you heard about this, in a, on a train in France in 2015. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was a man with a Muslim sounding, I'm assuming he's Muslim, a 25-year-old Moroccan man. Um, this was also treated, he didn't kill him, he didn't uh, uh, managed to kill anyone. I don't think anyone died. There were some non-fatal injuries. And he was stopped by several people on the train. He was going to do something bad, right? right. We agree on that. He's trying to hurt people. What he came out and said, though, after this was branded as a terrorist attack and he was, I think, charged with the terror incident and everything, he said, no, I was just trying to rob people for money. I was hungry. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He totally denied that it was any kind of, I think the, I read a quote. He said he was dumbfounded by the accusations that he said, I was just a, you know, a person who was hungry. I was trying to rob people. Right. Um, so that's another incident that comes to mind. I have to question. Um, his his uh, statement obviously was not given any credibility whatsoever. It was it was kind of like an open and shut case. Like, you know, right. It was obviously some kind of terror attack. But my question now is why? Why didn't they <laughs> believe him? You know? When we look back at the attack on the World Trade Centers. We look back at 9-11 and think about the era that it ushered in in terms of travel, security, civil liberties, and how people willingly gave, were willing to part with their freedom, were willing to part with, you know, they were willing to part with their freedom for the illusion of security. Because attacks didn't, didn't stop, violence didn't end. But the idea that, well, you're going to make us safe. So I, I think that his statement, this, this fellow in France, his statement being, being discounted, 
ISIS taking claim for attacks, people being willing to attribute attacks to ISIS, even when there's no evidence for it. It serves a narrative. It serves a narrative that is going to have impact on policy. So we see a, a further curta uh, curtailment of freedom, of civil liberties. And, you know, I mean, it gets to the point now, it's like with the bombing in, uh, in, um, in Boston, the Boston Marathon some years back. Um, now with this happening in Las Vegas, it will get to the point where you can't even, you, you can't go anywhere, you know, without having to, as a matter of fact, it's already like that. You can be on the CTA on the train, our train system here, and, and wind up and get searched, just random search. So I think that's, to me, I think that's where we're, we're being pushed, and that is at the root of, at the root of, uh, of all of this. Well, I shouldn't say at the root of all of this because it's not declarative, but I think that's a big part of this conversation. So, Radio Islam family, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add, Ibrahim? Um, no, I think that should do it for now. We will <laughs> we'll continue this conversation sometime else. Yeah. Inshallah. Inshallah. With God's permission. So we thank you for, for joining us this evening, Radio Islam family. If you have any thoughts that you would like to share with us, feel free to drop a line on our Facebook page or tweet us at Radio Islam USA. We'd be more than happy to respond to you. We're always happy to see uh, you engaged and to, to get your thoughts on things. So we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow at 6 p.m., same time, 1450 a.m. WCEV, or streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Our engineer tonight was Ramon at WCEV. Thank you so much for doing a great job over there, Ramon. Our producer for tonight's show, as well as our engineer and co host, the impressive Ibrahim Beg. I am your host, Tariq El Amin. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. The words and uh, viewpoints of the host or co-host, uh, any guests we may have, are, should be attributed to them and not to Sound Vision. Um, we thank you once again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you or hearing you tomorrow at the same time. I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.